No, years ago, actually um, started going to the uh, Jacksonville, First Baptist Church Jacksonville Pastors Conference um, before we ever moved over here. In fact, that was the first time I ever got on an airplane, was to fly from Baton Rouge to Jacksonville to attend their pastors conference and just kind of started going every year and loved it so much and of course that's a big mega church and uh, just loved their worship. Um, every, every service was just spectacular and the music just stirred our souls and I remember thinking man whew, one of these days I think one of those days has come. I mean we have a spectacular music program. They had a full orchestra, they had a full choir, and they had just different music groups like you saw here, and just uh, always stirred your heart and really got you on the edge of your seat, ready to hear what God had to say. And I just kept thinking, Lord, I know that's, that's what we can have, and, and certainly God has, has answered our prayers. And uh, thank you, Brian, and thank you, choir, and our, our joy, I'm sorry, our... Uh, Gloryland singers and our orchestra, our instrumentalists, uh, y'all just, every Sunday, y'all bring the Lord your best, and it just really blesses me and, and gets me on the edge of my seat to preach. I hope it gets you on the edge of your seat to hear <laughs> what God has to say. Let's pray. God, just thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to be in your house. Lord, we are in your presence. We are here on holy ground, and it's because you're here. And Lord, we've been led to into your presence through praise this morning. You said, enter into his courts with praise, and God, we have done that, and you are here. You said you inhabit the praises of your people, so Lord, you're here. There's no doubt you're here. Manifest your presence now among us, in us and through us. Speak, Lord, because we want to hear from you. Lord, every one of us comes together this morning. We come with needs. We come with burdens. We come with problems. We come with questions. And we need you to speak into our lives with your truth, from your word, by your spirit, through your servant. And I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, while most of us were eating lunch with our families, a man opened fire inside the First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, Texas. I know you know about that. It happened during their Sunday morning services, killing at least 26 of their members, which was about half of their people present. Injured another 20 parishioners. It's said to be the deadliest shooting in Texas history. Victims' ages range from 18 months to 77 years old. The pastor and his wife were out of town, but Frank Pomeroy, the pastor, his 14-year-old daughter, Annabelle, was among the victims. The pastor and his wife had been out of town when the shooting took place, and they said at Monday's conference, we lost more than Bell yesterday. One thing that gives us a sliver of encouragement is the fact that, the, that Belle was surrounded yesterday by her church family, whom she loved fiercely, and vice versa. Our church was not comprised of members or parishioners. We were a very close family. We are together. We ate together, we laughed together, we cried together, we worshiped together. Most of our church family now is gone. 
our building probably beyond repair. And I just heard on the radio this week that they're going to demolish that building and build a monument there. They said as senseless as this tragedy was, our sweet bell would not have been able to deal with losing so much family yesterday. Please don't forget Sutherland Springs, they said. This illustration of this story serves two purposes this morning. First of all, to remind you of the world that we're living in. And to set the stage for what I want to talk about today is we're talking about being an overcomer. How we can be overcomers in a world gone mad because our world has gone mad. The evidence is everywhere. Our, our society is deteriorating and it's because our society, our nation, our government has issued so many decrees and laws that are anti-God, removing God and His Word and everything from, from our official um, representation of government. And so God is, is, this is just what happens. You take God out and your world falls apart. That's going to happen in your life personally. You take God out of your life, your life's going to fall apart. You take His Word out of your life, your marriage is going to fall apart. Your life's going to fall apart. You take it out of the school, school's going to fall apart. That's what's happening. Teachers are saying they can't get any education done because it's so unruly. Well, it's unruly because you took out the rules. Now, I could get off my soapbox a little bit and come back down to where I started. But Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And we've been looking at this John 14, 15, 16, and now chapter 17 as we're going to be looking at the prayer of Christ in the garden. And we've been looking at it from the perspective of three things, things that we need to remember, like the fact that we're strangers here, this is not our home. Jesus has already overcome this world. We do live in a fallen, sinful, broken world. It's getting worse and worse. We need to re resolve some things unto God. Uh, we need to resolve that, um, that we're going to not fear. Jesus said, don't fear. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. We need to resolve to abide in, in Him. He's the overcomer. The only way we're going to overcome is by staying connected to the overcomer. You know, I remember when I was a kid... I was an RA. Can you, can you imagine? Where's, how many RAs are here this morning? All our RAs. All right, we got some old RAs. We got some young RAs. When I was a young RA, a royal ambassador, they took us snipe hunting. How many of you have ever been snipe hunting? <laughs> they took me snipe hunting. And uh, I didn't know what this was. They br bring us out in the woods, and we have this. First of all, we had this daytime camp out, and so they set the stage. They tell us this story. Uh, about this house that's on the property where we're camping, and then it's haunted. Now, these are good Christian men. <laughs> they lying, they lying. But hey, I was a little kid, man, I was soaking it all in. This house is haunted, and every night at, at midnight, the, what happened was the man of the house, he killed his wife, and every night at midnight, you can hear him moaning, you know? And so they're telling us this during the daytime, and we're not taking too much into it. I mean, we're, I'm taking it seriously, but it's not so scary in the daytime. Well, at night, they take us out in the woods, and we've got to walk right past this house. And they put us down in the woods with a stupid paper sack. They don't even make paper sacks, or do they? Paper gar grocery sack. And they said, when you hear something hit the back of your sack, 
you know, a snipe has ran into it, and you shut the sack real quick. Now, is that how y'all sniped hunt? I don't know. That's how we did it. <laughs> I've never been on another one. That was my first and only snipe hunt. So I thought, this is, this is ridiculous. You know, and then, then some guys were throwing pine cones at our sack to make us think that something had hit our sack. And so anyway, they, drag, they walk us back home, and they're, we're going single file now, and we've got to go back by this house. And by this time, it's about midnight, and all of us guys are going, oh, we just got to get past that house. We just got to get back to camp. About the time we get to the house, they, you hear this awful noise. You know, it's like, man, I come unglued. I come unglued. I, I would like to see a video of that, but I just lost it. And I was towards the back of the line, and our RA leader, L.V. Moran, Man, I, I took off shoom, to the front of that line, and I grabbed him by the shirt, and they were trying to pull me off and said, Lee, Lee, it's okay, it's just a joke. I said, oh, and I'm hungry, hanging on to L.V. Moran with all my strength. I wasn't letting go. I was going to overcome by hanging on to him. And, and that's how you are going to overcome, it's by hanging on to Jesus. There's a lot of scary junk in this world. You need to get close to Jesus. He's the overcomer. Keys to One of the keys to overcoming is a strong prayer connection, a strong connection to Christ. How do we keep that strong connection? It's through the Word of God and through prayer. And that's why I've been challenging you in the last several weeks. Don't neglect the Scriptures. Some of you made some commitments a few weeks ago. Some of, your, some of you have enjoyed more Bible reading in the last two or three weeks than you have maybe all year. And you've begun to hear God speak to you again. And it's, it's developing your spiritual life. And I want you to make a similar commitment to spending time in prayer, talking to the Lord. And so we've been looking at this from the perspective of, well, you know, where do I begin? What do I pray for? How do I pray? And we just need to simply ask Jesus, Lord, teach me to pray. That's what the disciples did. Look at the prayers in the Scripture. And it teaches you. And praying the Scripture back to the Lord. When you read a passage of Scripture that you like or that speaks to you, pray it back to Him. Lord, help me to be this. And just pray it back to the Lord. And that's a great way to learn to pray. But we've been looking at John 17. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles there. You remember John 14, 15, 16 is Jesus' private conversation with His disciples in the upper room before He is to be arrested and crucified. They, then Jesus takes them from the upper room and he leads them to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying. And remember he told them to, you stay here and you watch and you pray. I'm going to go a little bit farther and I'm going to pray. Now the only thing that we thought he prayed in the Gospels is what we hear him say, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. But in John 17, we get a broader picture of Jesus, what he prayed in the Garden. And it teaches us a little bit more about how to pray. And last week we looked at this, uh, verses 1 through 10, and verse 10 tells us, Jesus said, And all mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So one of the things we need to pray and ask God to do is be glorified in our lives. We spent the whole message last week talking about that. But the next thing Jesus asked for is in verse 11. He said, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. Now he's talking about his disciples, his followers. And now in, in uh, our context, he's talking about you and me. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name 
those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Look at verse 21 and 22. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me. Now let's back up to verse 20. He said, I do not pray for these alone, that is these 12 or these 11, because Judas had already done his thing. But I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. That's me and you. We believe the testimony of the original followers of Christ and been passed down to us. We believe that. We've given our life to Jesus Christ. So now Jesus is praying specifically for you and for me. He says that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus is praying here for the unity of believers. Now, the first thing he said is, be glorified in me, that they would be that I would be glorified in them. And then the next thing he prays for is for the unity of the body, that they all may be one. You know one of the best ways Jesus Christ is glorified through you and me is when we love and are unified as one. When we are one. When we're unified as a body. We are the body of Christ. He says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if what? You have love one for another. Unity of the believers. That was one of the things Jesus prayed for. Do you think that if you and I prayed for that, that God wants to answer that prayer? Do you think God, it's God's will for us to enjoy unity with one another? It is God's will. It's what Jesus prayed for. During World War II, Hitler commanded all the religious groups to unite so that he could control them. Who does that sound like? The Antichrist. Now, he wasn't the Antichrist, and we're not yet in the tribulation, but he was a forerunner of the Antichrist, and there have been many of those. But that's what's going to happen at the end of the age. All the religions are going to come under one. And when you start seeing that happening, and by the way, if you're paying attention, you're already seeing it happen. It's already happening. So that one person can control them. Well, Hitler wanted this to happen during World War II. And among the brethren assemblies, half complied and half refused. I would imagine those who refused had a better spiritual head on their shoulders than those who gave in. Those who went along with the order had much, a much easier time. Those who did not go along with the order faced harsh persecution. And almost every family of those who resisted, someone died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deep among or between the groups, and there was much tension. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed for the brethren assemblies to continue to exist. Leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat. And for several days, each person spent time alone in prayer, examining his, home, his or her own heart in the light of what God says in His Word. Then they came together. Francis Schaeffer, who told of this incident, asked a friend who was there. He said, then what did you do? He said, then we were just one. Because they had confessed their hostility, and their bitterness to God, 
And they yielded to his control. The Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. And love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. When love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an undisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. You see, because the world sees things, or the world lives in a way that when you disagree, or when you can't get along, you cut that person off, you hate them, you despise them, they become your enemy. But when they see that people, the people of God, who may disagree can love one another, can forgive one another, and can still function and act as one. It's a mystery to them. It's an enigma to them. And they want to figure out how in the world can that happen. And that's an attractant. That's like perfume that draws them in to want to know more about this Savior, this Jesus Christ. So it's unity in the body. It's the unity of the believers that draws people to Christ because Jesus has been glorified in the body of Christ. Jesus cannot be glorified in a church that's divided. He cannot be glorified in a heart, a human heart that holds bitterness and hatred and resentment. And my friends, let me challenge you this morning. If you have bitterness, resentment, or hatred in your heart towards any person, you cannot be at one with Christ. You cannot. You're at odds with God if you're at odds with anybody else. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said that. He said after the Lord's Prayer. Remember how the Lord's Prayer taught us? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then he closed it by saying in verse 14 and 15, he said, if you forgive men their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will forgive you your trespasses. But he didn't stop there. He took it even farther. He said, but if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. So if you're at odds with any person, if there's any bitterness, resentment, or hatred, or anything in your heart towards another person, you cannot be at one with God. And if you're not at one with God, guess what? You're not at one with the body of Christ. You're out of sorts. You're out of whack. And the key, the way to get back is confess that bitterness as sin. Forgive that person or persons who've wronged you. If you want to enjoy unity, it begins with lining up your heart, your life, with the commands of Christ. And Jesus said, forgive as I have forgiven you. Now, how did he forgive me? You know what? He forgave me before I even asked. Are you, here? Are you listening? Some of you say, I'll forgive them when they ask me, when they admit that they're wrong, and when they say, I'm sorry then you're not being Christ-like. You're being worldly. Oh, it's easy to forgive somebody who comes crawling back and says, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. That's easy. Anybody can do that. But it takes Jesus, a Jesus person, to forgive before you're asked. How did Jesus forgive me? He did it before I asked. How did Jesus forgive me? He forgave me completely. He erased my sin debt against him. He didn't hold it against me. The Bible says that, that he removed my sins from me as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. He didn't bring it back up the next time we had an argument. Now, Jesus doesn't argue, by the way. You don't argue with Jesus. But you bet you argue with your spouse, don't you? Or with your friends. And sometimes we use those old things to, as weapons. He forgave me completely. He forgave me before I asked. He forgave me. 
immediately. He forgave me frequently. How many times has Jesus had to forgive you? How many times have you asked him to forgive you? And you keep on doing sins against him? How many of you have sinned this week? Your hand better be up or you're sinning probably. <laughs> how, many, how many of you asked Jesus to forgive you this week? How many of you anticipate you'll ask him again this week? And next week? And the next? You bunch of... Mm, me too! But yet, if you treated your friends the way you treat Jesus, or if your friends treated you the way you treat Jesus, you'd, you'd cut them off, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want anything to do with them. What if Jesus treated you that way? You wouldn't have a Jesus. But see, that's how he loves you. See, Jesus forgives you before you ask. He forgives you completely. He forgives you immediately. And he forgives you as often as you need it. That's how you live at peace with one another. He says, as much as is possible with you, live at peace with everyone. And the way you can do it with your, on your side is forgive, 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 forgive. And if they keep offending, you keep forgiving. That doesn't mean you're giving them permission to offend. You may have to create some distance, but you keep forgiving. <coughs> Philippians chapter 2. Here's what the uh, Bible says in Philippians 2. It says, therefore... If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others." Now, what if we just took those four verses and said, I'm going to work on those four verses this month or this year. I'm going to work at esteeming others better than myself. I'm going to work at, at uh, making sure that I don't do anything out of my selfishness. And I'm going to try to humble myself. I'm, I'm going to look at helping others become what God wants them to become. What if, what if the body of Christ started living with an other's mindset? Instead of a selfish mindset. You see, unit, disunity is created by selfishness and pride. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, only by pride comes contention. Only by pride comes contention. Selfishness is just a manifestation of pride. Only by pride comes contention. In other words, if, you're, if there's an argument, if there's strife, if there's conflict, there's pride. And so we have to humble ourselves before God and often before one another. For, there to, for unity to take place. Unity and pride are enemies. Humility and unity are best friends. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, there was a, Paul was writing this letter, encouraging the church because there was a problem in the church. Now, we don't have problems, do we? We never have, have we? Sure, we, we have had problems, but there was a problem in this church, in Church Philippi. There was two women that got crossways. You ever gotten crossways with anybody? You ever got crossways with another believer? You ever got crossways with your spouse? Your parents? Your kids? 
These two women got crossways, and it caused a division problem, a unity problem in the church. And so Paul was writing this, partially writing this letter for, to address this issue. He said in chapter 4, he said, um, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So he's talking to two women who were co-laborers with him, who were believers, who were followers of Christ, who had helped him in the ministry, but they got upset at each other over something. And he was encouraging the, the church, help these women. And he was imploring to these women, Y'all come together, come back to be of one mind. And I implore you here today, if you're at odds with anybody, whether it's in this church or not in this church, you need to go make things right with that person or you're hindering the unity of this body. If you're wrong with anybody in your life, you're hindering the unity of this fellowship. And you need to help this fellowship Enjoy unity by getting right with everybody in your life that you possibly can. You say, well, that person's dead and gone. Still forgive them. Let it go. Talk to the Lord about them. Get over it. Move on. Because you're hurting the fellowship of this church. You're hurting the fellowship of your own marriage. Do you know that? Bitterness at somebody else will eat away in every relationship in your life. Your marriage, with your kids, with your job, your co-workers, your boss. Do you know, especially if you're bitter at an authority in your life, you'll be bitter at every other authority in your life. You'll have, a tr- you'll have trouble with submitting to authority in every other area of your life. If somebody who wronged you was an authority figure, father, mother, boss, you'll have trouble submitting and, and yielding to authority. So if you want to get over that, you've got to go back and forgive that person. Let them off the hook. You're not admitting that what they did was right. You're admitting that the way you feel about it is wrong. And it's eating you up. And you see, bitterness, the Bible says, is one sin, like witchcraft, that can open the door to the devil in your life and create all kinds of torment. That's in Matthew 18. And you don't want that in your life. And you don't want that in your home. So strive for the unity of the body of Christ. In fact, Ephesians 4.3 says this, Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavor. Make it your goal, your aim in life, to strive for unity in the body, to strive for unity in your marriage and in your home. Work at it. It takes effort, yes. It takes selflessness. It takes humility. But it's worth it. Endeavor for unity. In a Peanuts cartoon, Charlie Brown, in case you didn't know who I'm talking about. In a Peanuts cartoon, Lucy demanded that Linus change the TV channel. And she threatened him with her fist if he didn't. Linus worked up a little boldness. He says, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? Lucy said, these five fingers... She said, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this, they make a weapon terrible to behold. (laughs) Which channel do you want? 
Linus asked. <laughs> and then he looks at his fingers and he says, Why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> I wonder if that's what God says about the church. When the world is able to get together to accomplish terrible, godless things, like taking prayer out of school, like legalizing abortion and homosexual marriage. I think God looks at his body and goes, why can't you get organized like that? You see, the Bible says the church is built on the rock of Jesus Christ and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, hell can't stop the onslaught of the church. It's just the church isn't onslaughting anything. We can't get together. We're too busy fighting one another. We can't fight the evil. And therefore, evil wins. Because we can't come together. Psalm 133.1 Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Have you ever been a part of something that was disunified? that was divided. Maybe that's your work. Maybe that's your marriage or your home or something else in your life. Do you enjoy it that way? Is it pleasurable? Is it blessed? I don't know anybody in their right mind that's blessed in disunity, that feels blessed, that feels in pleasure. There are some people I thought enjoyed disunity because they seem to be the author of it. But I, I, I've never known somebody that just enjoyed division and disharmony. I doubt any of you do. I bet you all enjoy harmony. When you and your wife are on the same page, it's like heaven on earth, isn't it? Amen. I heard some amens over there. But if you and your wife are at odds, it can be like hell on earth, can't it? I heard a few more amens. Which would you prefer? Which would you prefer? When you're one. That's the same for the body of Christ. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Jesus tells us, He prays, Father, help them to be one as we're one. I don't pray for these only, Lord. I pray for those who will... Come to me through the testimony of their word that they may be one as we are one. You see, when the church is unified, we form a great weapon against the devil and the false philosophies of this world. And the devil knows that. That's why this is one area that he works so hard on. Because he knows if we ever get organized, we will punch his lights out. Don't let the devil use you to be a disunifying factor in the church of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that means keeping your mouth shut. You don't always have to express your opinion. You can keep it to yourself. It sometimes means going back to somebody that you said something to that you shouldn't have said and saying, I'm sorry, I misspoke or I spoke in a... A, a, a disrespectful way, will you please forgive me? Humbling ourselves. Don't let the devil use you as a tool 
of division in this church. He's looking for every avenue. He's looking for every opportunity. He wants to get in and pull this body apart, and he wants to wreck it for his glory. And when he does, it will cause the name of Christ to be reproached here. And you don't want that. I don't want that. Jesus doesn't want that. Many believers look more like the Lone Ranger and Tonto. They were traveling through a canyon. Y'all know the Lone Ranger and Tonto, right? They were traveling through a canyon together, and all of a sudden, all around them, on both sides of the canyon up top, in front of them, and behind them, they were surrounded by all these Native American warriors on horses and painted faces of war paint. They were dressed for battle. The Lone Ranger looked at his companion, his one and only buddy, and he said, Tonto, what are we going to do? Tonto said, what do you mean we, pale face? <laughs> I hope that when trouble comes that you don't abandon your brother or your sister. Listen, we're family. That church that got hit last week, they were family. You heard what I said about them at the beginning of the service. They did everything together. They were family. That is one word that characterizes this body of believers. It always has, and I pray it always will. But that's not what the devil wants. I want us, God wants us, to continue to be a family. And we do that by endeavoring, 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 working hard, looking for every way that the devil could possibly get in. How, how might the devil be using me, my attitude, my words, my actions? How I don't want that. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Unity glorifies God, and it blesses the people. I want that blessing. I've been, I've been enjoying the blessings of unity in this body. But I also see that there are potential ways the devil could get in. I want you to see those, and I want us to form a blockade. I want us to come together. Say, we will not allow this, whatever it may be, to stand in the way of what God wants to do here. We will not allow this to divide us for God's glory. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to ask you today to make a commitment to the Lord. Lord, I'm committing to you today. I want to be an instrument of your peace. I don't want to be a weapon in the hands of the devil to cause division in the body of Christ. I want to be an instrument of your peace. Would you ask the Lord to do that? Would you then ask the Lord, Lord, would you help us to be one? Help this body called Dawson Street Baptist Church, help us to be one. Help us to enjoy unity and that family spirit. You see, we're talking about being an overcomer. We can overcome the evil one in this way. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the bond of peace. Let's pray together.